Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Radiant Life. Glad you could be with us as we continue our series, Upside Down Kingdom. Over the course of this series, we are looking at some of the parables that Jesus used. Parables are, again, this is a story with intent. It's an illustration that Jesus used to demonstrate principles of his kingdom. Right, he, would, he would go around and tell these parables to help people get a better grasp of what his kingdom looked like. And he had to do that because a lot of the, the principles of the kingdom of God are very different than the principles of the kingdoms of this world. And so he would, he would tell these stories to illustrate that. And we're going to jump into one today. If you have your Bibles, as Branson comes up here, uh, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. So, Branson, you come right up here. Are you, you nervous at all? A little bit? Okay. So here's, here's the trick. Here's the trick. So you're nervous. If you come and hang your feet off the side of the stage, <laughs> then they all get nervous. That's true. So then we're all just kind of in this same like nervous spot same together. Moment. And then it's, it's just kind of like equal playing field kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, hey, Pastor Brandon had us do this last week. I liked it, so we're going to do it again this week. I want to encourage you to stand uh, as we read Scripture today. Now, I'm, I'm old school, right? Hey, if, the, if your best way to engage with God's Word is on your phone, more power to you. I'm old school. If you've got one of these old paper things laying around at home, I want to encourage you to bring this. Bring this on a Sunday, right? I'm, I'm like a like pen and highlighter, like digging it. I just... I love looking back. Uh, you know, I still have the Bible I had as a teenager, and I still have all those notes, and th- like just to see the way that Holy Spirit has used His Word uh, over the course of decades. Uh, so, yeah, I've, if you've got one of these, bring it along. That'll be good. Uh, but Branson, you're going to be reading for us. Uh, the words are not going to be on the screen today. So, hey, if you're if you're joining us online, get out your Bible too. Uh, Luke chapter 18 is where we're going. But uh, the words aren't going to be on the screen, so you can read along in your text or just, uh, just listen as Branson reads for us from Luke 18. And then we're going to jump and read a few verses from Matthew chapter 18 as well. So just to give you a little heads up. All right, take it away, Branson. This is Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words. God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else. Crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Then go ahead and flip over to Matthew chapter 18 as well. We're going to read the first four verses there. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then he called a little child over to sit among the disciples and said, I assure you that if you don't turn your lives around and become like this little child, you will definitely not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who humble themselves like this little child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. God's word here this morning. 
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word demonstrates to us what your kingdom looks like. Lord, I just ask that we would lean in. Holy Spirit, quicken our hearts to receive what you have to say to us through your word here this morning. And may we chase after your kingdom ideals, Lord, not ours. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Hey, before you take a seat, let's give Branson a hand. Just thank him for, for reading for us. And then as you do that, you can go ahead and grab a seat here this morning. So I want you, if you're a note taker, I want you to write down two words in your notes this morning. Two words. Uh, the first word is this, humility. Humility. Jot that down. And the second word that we'll get to here in a little bit is mercy. We're going to write down mercy. I had like a cultural, you know, like reference for that in first service and nobody got it, so... If you're a John Stamos fan in the house and watched Full House growing up, like you, you missed it. You should have come to first service because I made, I made the reference. Every cultural reference I made in first service fell totally flat. So I just said, I'm not going to say that in second service. I can't, I can't take that kind of defeat all over again. <laughs> Although Chris, Chris Kidd did tell me he got it. I just told him he needed to be in here this service, but he's doing next steps. So it's all right. It's all right. Humility and mercy. If you, if you don't take anything else away from today, well, hopefully you take whatever Holy Spirit wants you to take away from today. But ideally, it has something to do with humility or mercy. Jesus tells this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And he, he demonstrates, again, we're talking about upside-down kingdom because he demonstrates a principle of his kingdom that is very different than what we see in the world. And at the core of it is humility. Right? You, have this, you have this Pharisee, a religious leader, a scholar, somebody well-versed in Scripture. They, they know the text inside and out. And they come to the temple and they're praying. And their prayer focuses on the things that they are doing to live a righteous life. And on the other side, Jesus talks about this tax collector would have been a social outcast. He would have been hated by his people. They would have said, man, why, what is this tax collector doing? Man, he, he can't have a relationship with God. And Jesus says, this Pharisee prays this way, and he, he appeals to his efforts, to his keeping of the law, which are things that they were called to do. Right? Everything that he talked about was a good thing. But in his prayer, he appeals to his efforts and his abilities as his source of righteousness. You have the tax collector, and the tax collector won't even look to heaven. But it says he, he beats his chest in sorrow, right? In their culture, like this would have been, if you're mourning, if you're grieving, like this is an, is an outward symbol of that. So this tax collector is standing there in sorrow, grieving, saying, Lord, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. Now, everybody that was listening would have said, yeah, that's right, he's a sinner. What's he doing here? But Jesus says, this tax collector, not the Pharisee, goes home justified. That word justified 
means to be declared righteous before God. So you have this guy who's doing all of the right things and saying, hey, Lord, I'm not like all these other people. I'm not, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a thief. I'm not greedy. And I'm definitely not like this tax collector here. He says, surely I, I have righteousness. Lord, you got to see this, right? Have you checked out your boy Pharisee right here? He's doing a pretty good job. The tax collector says, I'm, I'm a sinner. Lord, be merciful to me. Jesus says the tax collector leaves justified. He, he is declared righteous before God. I had to write down that one word, humility. Humility. Now let's jump into the passage that we read in Matthew chapter 18. You have the disciples come and they say, Jesus, in your kingdom, who's the greatest? And at first glance, you might say, well, that seems like kind of an innocent question, right? They're just like, hey, like, who's, who's in charge in your kingdom, Lord? But if you take that narrative in conjunction with several other conversations that happen in the Gospels, it's not too far-fetched that what the disciples were actually asking is, which one of us is the greatest in your kingdom? Elsewhere in the Gospels, we see Jesus, like, they're trying to talk so Jesus can't hear them because the disciples are fighting amongst themselves which one of the 12 is the greatest. And Jesus has to tell them, man, like, you guys, it's, it's not like that in my kingdom. Two of the guys, right, two of the guys, they, they really seem to appeal. The Pharisee appeals to his efforts. The tax collector appeals to the mercy of God. The disciples seem to appeal to themselves as a standard. Kind of like, hey, hey, nobody else is like us. We have more proximity to Jesus than these other people. Right, because first of all, they're the 12, right? We talk about the 12. These are pretty special guys. They had a unique relationship with Jesus. And then within the 12, you have the three, Peter, James, and John. They're kind of his inner circle, And two of those guys, they even went so far as to have their mom go and talk to Jesus to say, hey, Jesus, can my two boys have the two greatest places of honor in your kingdom? Like, I don't know about you, but I got to believe that the other disciples, when they found that out, like they beat, they beat those guys up. Like, what was that conversation like? Hey, uh, hey, mom. Hey, mom, can you, could, could you go talk to Jesus for us? Or these are the guys, that, like, they're in the inner circle. They're in the inner circle. But maybe on some level, they know that, hey, we probably shouldn't go ask Jesus this. Let's have mom do it. Let's have mom do it. But we know that the disciples sought places and positions of honor in the kingdom of God. Of God. And Jesus had to constantly remind them, guys, it doesn't work like that. So in Matthew chapter 18, they say, hey, who's the greatest? And Jesus calls over this little child and he says, hey, unless you can be like this child, turn from your sins, be like this child, be as humble as this child. He says, otherwise, men, not only will you not be the greatest, but if you can't become like this child, you won't even get in. In Jewish culture, culture, children were loved, but they did not have status. 
They didn't have any sort of position that they could leverage, right? They couldn't say, oh, I have honor. They didn't have that at all. Jesus says, this is what you're supposed to be like. You're supposed to be like this child. It's that word humility. He says, unless you're as humble as this little child. And, it, and if you get that, if you are as humble as this little child, then you'll be the greatest. Again, it's that upside down kingdom principle. That the kingdom is for those who know they can't earn it and don't deserve it. Right? The last two weeks we sang that song, Reckless Love. And that's one of the lines in there. I, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Jesus says, that's who the kingdom of heaven is for. The Pharisee was pretty confident in his ability to gain access to the kingdom of God as he appealed to his efforts, to his work, to his performance. The disciples appeal to their proximity. Well, surely, you know, we must be given a place of honor. Like, you know, one of us is the greatest, obviously. The tax collector beats his chest in sorrow and says, Lord, I can only appeal to your mercy because I'm a sinner. Humility comes when we realize our position in relation to God. The, tr- the trick is, right, many of us use other standards of comparison. We, we fear, hey, like, the, like the, the Pharisee, if we compare ourselves to others, we can come out looking pretty good. As long as I'm a better dad, a better husband, a better employee than so-and-so, or better than this group of people, well, then I'm doing all right. Or we, or we just look at our own effort and say, well, hey, Nobody else is doing as good at this as me, so I must be pretty awesome. I, I, I must be the greatest. We compare ourselves to others. We compare others to us when the kingdom model is every single one of us views our position compared to God. And the reality is not a single, we can't touch that with a 39 and a half foot pole. I love that psalm that JB read, right? Psalm 103. It reminds us, you and I, we're, we're dust. We are dust. How much do we actually have to bring to the table as dust? Nothing. And when we realize that, we come to this place of humility. And in humility, we can say, Lord, I have to appeal to your mercy because nothing that I bring to the table will achieve your standard. And the beauty of it is when we do that, right? It's like that first song that we sang. My sin is great, but his love really is greater. So when in humility we come to him and say, I can't achieve your standard. I need your mercy. He pours it out. He says the tax collector, as he comes in humility to him and says, I'm a sinner, I need your mercy. He, not the Pharisee, goes home justified, goes home declared righteous before God. That's the core of the gospel. 
recognition that you and I are sinful human beings who can't achieve God's standard on our own. It shows that we must be wholly dependent on Jesus. It is through Jesus, again, JB said this when he, when he was talking earlier, right? That our sins are wiped away. The things that keep us from the presence of God through Jesus are wiped away. Not through anything that you or I do. Through Jesus. There's humility. This is, this is baked into the design of the kingdom. Jesus talks about this often if you go to what we call the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five. Jesus hits on some of these things. Matthew, Matthew chapter five, verse three. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Maybe your translation says, blessed are those who are are poor and realize their need for him. Right? We have to come to this place of recognizing our own spiritual poverty. The kingdom of heaven is for those people. Jump ahead to verse 5. It says, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And this would have blown the minds of the people listening. They're occupied by Rome. This, this dominant military power that had taken over all of the known world. And Jesus says, hey, blessed are the humble, they inherit the earth. And everyone's thinking, no, the people with the most spears and swords and bow and arrows, they inherit the earth. Because that's what Rome did. They came in and took it. You either get on board or we kill you. That was their motto. But Jesus says, no, it's, it's, it's actually the humble. It's the, it's the people that take a low position. Those are the people who inherit the earth. Verse six, it's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When I'm hungry, right, when my belly's growling, and we'll see if the microphone picks it up here in a little bit if I start getting a little, little hungry, that is my body telling me, Hey, there is something outside of yourself that you need to be satiated. It can't, it can't generate food from within itself. It's saying, hey, you need something. When I'm thirsty, it's saying, hey, like, there's, you need water. You need to bring something in here. Like, we don't have it. We, we, can't, we can't push a button on your shoulder and, and, and take care of that. You need something external. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who recognize that there is something external to themselves that they need to be satiated. And that thing is only found in Jesus through the mercy of God. Go to the next verse. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When in humility... We come to God. Say, God, I can't achieve your standard. Say, Lord, I I have to be dependent on your mercy. He pours it out on us. He grants us mercy. And in return, right? I think as, as we come to this place of humility, I think we will also then more, I won't say naturally because it's it's not natural, but as we allow Holy Spirit to transform our lives, 
we then become mercy givers. Right? We, we look at other people and, and, and whereas before, maybe like the Pharisee, we say, oh, I can't believe that person would do this. I'm, I'm not going to talk to them. I can't believe it. They call themselves a Christian. And we take that posture of the Pharisee. But when we realize how much we need Jesus, how dependent we are on his mercy, I think we will more readily extend mercy to those around us. Because it's, it's, it's an even playing field. The Pharisee had categories of closeness to God. Well, I'm not like this kind of sinner. I'm not like this kind of sinner. I'm not like this kind of sinner. I'm definitely not like that kind of sinner. We're apart from God. All of those things are the same. We've talked about that before from this stage. It's an even playing field. Nobody starts closer to Jesus than anybody else. All of us are wholly dependent on the mercy and grace of God. And I think, I think humility is something that, and, and you guys can, if you disagree, you can come and yell at me after the service. That's all right. Because I don't know that there's, a, there's not a, a chapter and verse that I can point to for this. But I think humility is something that precedes faith. Faith is what justifies us. Paul talks about this all throughout Romans, right? We are justified, we are declared righteous by our faith, by our trust in Jesus as the only one who can meet God's standard. We're justified by faith. But I think humility comes in before that so that we recognize our inability. I think like the Pharisee, many of us cling to our own efforts. We appeal to our performance for God as the means of our righteousness. And it isn't. Paul says in one of his letters that his righteousness is like filthy rags. He says, the best that I can bring is garbage. It's garbage. In and of myself, I can never do anything good enough to achieve God's standard. I must be wholly dependent on the mercy of God. I, I hope you're, you're recognizing a theme here this morning. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is actually having kind of a run-in with some Pharisees. It's right after he calls his disciple Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Again, not looked on very well in their culture. And Jesus calls Matthew, and then after that, he actually goes to Matthew's home to eat, which would have, would have been next level scandalous, right? And the Pharisees are like, oh, you jump into to verse, uh, chap, verse 11 in chapter 9. So when the Pharisees saw this, Jesus eating with a bunch of tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when he, Jesus, heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, 
but sinners. I love the way the New Living Translation puts that phrase. It says, I haven't come to call those who think they are righteous, but I've come to call those who know they are sinners. Did you know that you're a sinner? So am I. In fact, this message, I, I, I said this in first service too, this message is, is one of the more difficult ones that I've prepared. I actually rewrote this message three or four times over the course of the week. And I just, I struggled with it. I wrestled with it. And I think at the core of that, it's because my natural bent is much more like the Pharisee than it is the tax collector. If I look back over the course of my walk with Jesus, I'm much more likely over the years to have been the one to say, Lord, thanks that I'm not like any of these dirty, rotten sinners out here. Yeah, Lord, here are a couple of the things that I'm doing for you just in case you weren't paying attention. I think you should be aware of this. That is my natural bent. We actually, we joke about it, although we probably shouldn't because it's It's terrible. But like with the, with the team here at the church, we joke that I'm the, I'm the staff Pharisee. Again, not a, not a badge of honor. It shouldn't be a badge of honor. <laughs> My natural bent is to be legalistic, very black and white. And unfortunately, over a, for a lot of my life, that plays out as, as that holier than thou, like God go get him kind of mentality. And that's something that I'm still processing through. So this, this now every, every message that any one of us ever preaches from up here, we should be preaching to ourselves you know, at any week. But this one was extra challenging because I know, I know what my natural bent is. It was, it was one of those eye-opening things. This was, uh, I don't know, two, three months ago. Was it two, three months ago when Chris yelled at me? So, not, so I, was, I was talking to Chris, my counselor, and I was, I was, I was, I was venting about something, and he gave me space to do that, and I, and I finished up, and he says, wow, he says, he says, that guy sounds like he's almost as judgmental as you are. <laughs> I really love, I'll come home sometimes, I'll tell Nicole, I'll tell my wife, I'm like, yeah, Chris yelled at me today, because like, <laughs> I need it, because that's my natural bent. My natural bent is to say, hey, I'm up here. Everybody else is down here. And so I still need the Holy Spirit to work on that within me. And as we, as we come into that posture of humility, again, Jesus says, right in Matthew chapter 9, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The Pharisee in Jesus' parable talked about the sacrifices that he made. He says, hey man, I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income, which even, even there, like little side note, little side note, even his language betrays his heart. You know, when we talk about the tithe, tithe, it's, it's not anything fancy, that literally just means a tenth. But in the, in the Older Testament, which the Pharisee would have been appealing to that law, God said, the tithe, that tenth, is his. And he tells his people to bring it back. 
He says, bring back to the storehouse the tithe. You're not giving God your tithe. I'm not giving God my tithe. I am bringing back to him what he has declared as his. But the Pharisees are like, no, hey, I give you a tenth of my income. As if he's doing God a favor. He's a fast twice a week. I give you this. He appeals to his efforts, to his sacrifice. Jesus says, no. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. All throughout scripture, right? The law that the Pharisee is clinging to, one of its purposes was to highlight how incapable we are of meeting God's standards. Yet it's that same law that the Pharisee is clinging to, to say, Lord, I've done it. Met your standards. See you next week. As we come to terms with our position in relation to God and we lean into that posture of humility, I think we will more readily extend mercy to others. Jesus says, mercy, mercy, not sacrifice. Because we're not actually in a position to to withhold mercy from somebody, right? We're, we're not judge and jury on a spiritual, in a spiritual sense, we're, we're not the ones who get to determine, you know, that person, they don't deserve mercy. Do you know what they did last week? Do you know what they did last week? Do, do you know what they did last week? Mercy. But we do that. Just as I desire mercy, not Sacrifice. Humility and mercy. Those are core to the kingdom of God. As long as we try to cling to our own status, our own efforts, our own works, we miss it. As long as we're trying to pursue status, right? And, and, it, and it's hard because our culture celebrates greatness. But in, but in the kingdom of heaven, right, it is the janitor, not the CEO, who is the most important employee. That's not the way our systems work. That's not the way the kingdoms of this world operate. So just, man, as long as we try to hold on to these things, as long as we make the pursuit of status, and that's the disciples, who's the greatest? Lord, is it me? Is it John? Is it James? Which one is it? Come on, because if it isn't me, I'm going to go bump a few of these other guys off so that I can move up in line. As long as we pursue status, we miss it. But when in humility we come and we appeal to the mercy of God, when we humbly come before God and say, Lord, I I need you because I'm a sinner. And like JB said, Jesus, he wipes our sins away. And we enter into his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is for those who know they don't deserve it and know they can't 
earn it. We've been closing our, our services, our messages anyways, with a question. And we want to challenge you to ask this question. Holy Spirit, in this moment, in this place here today, what are you saying to me? And then I would ask you a follow-up question. As you grapple with what Holy Spirit is saying to you, the follow-up question is this. What are you going to do about it? Because you could sit in this space and hear the word of God taught. You could, you could hear God praise through song. And Holy Spirit might be revealing within you something. But if you, if you stand up here in, in 10 minutes, walk out the doors, and, and that's all it was, and you, and you never actually do anything with it, then we've missed it. We've missed it. What is Holy Spirit saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as I close some prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your mercy. Thank you that we don't have to rely on our own efforts. That it isn't about my performance. It isn't about my status. It is totally, totally you and your mercy. The sacrifice of Jesus on my behalf. I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, do within us what you need to do within us.